Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com. For the Office of Personnel Management, 2024 will be the year of pooled hiring. Now, this recruitment tactic lets agencies share lists of qualified job candidates. The idea is to speed federal hiring, which usually takes too long. Agencies have already had some success with the technique in infrastructure hiring over the last year or so. For what's coming next, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman spoke with OPM Deputy Director Rob Shriver. You're going to see a continuing emphasis on that because it just makes sense from a resource perspective. There are some agencies that do a great job recruiting uh, high-quality talent pools and have great assessments um, for those. And maybe it's because, um, you know, there's a certain type of job that's really critical to that agency, really core. And so they've invested in the recruiting and the assessments. But, you know, they may get way more qualified candidates than they can bring on board. But other agencies want to hire people in that job, too. So why shouldn't we leverage all that investment that that particular agency has made in the recruiting and the assessment um, process uh, so that other agencies can hire from that certification? And OPM does the same thing. We manage some pooled hiring actions that can be, we've done some for the bill agencies. Um, For example, they needed HR help right away. And so we did a multi-agency action um, for the infrastructure agencies and they hired a lot of HR people um, from that process. So I think you're gonna see more uh, of that uh, Drew in 24 for sure. Just a little bit more about that. I know a lot of it, at least that I've seen uh, in the last year or so was focused on, like you said, the bipartisan infrastructure law do you see this as something that's going to expand in a way or are you trying to kind of just continue it or like ramp up the amount of uh, pool hiring that is going on? And if so, like, how are you planning to to kind of build on what you've seen or done so far? So, Drew, we do two things. One is um, we are continuing to invest in this at OPM. Um, every year we ask for funding in the budget to be able to invest in these pooled hiring actions. OMB has been incredibly supportive of uh, those requests and um, and we appreciate that. And what we do is we work with um, Chico's um, and evaluate where the greatest need is for um, pooled hiring that OPM can manage. The other thing that we do and what we, we will continue to do that and it will be beyond the infrastructure jobs Um, For example, I think that we may see some pooled hiring around tech, given all the needs that we have in the uh, the tech world. And in fact, we've done some pooled hiring there. And and so uh, we'll continue to do that. The other thing is supporting agencies that, um, as I mentioned, like have invested themselves in the recruitment and assessment process. So they are also allowed to manage pooled hiring actions under the Competitive Service Act. And we serve as... Um, strategic advisors on uh, for agencies that are looking to do that and we can work with them from the very beginning of that hiring process so that when they generate um, a certification that has a lot of great candidates that that can be made available um, as well Um, so there hasn't been as much uptake of that um, to this point there's been some experimenting with it that has been very promising and so i think we're going to continue to try to expand that in 24. One thing that really stuck out to me was you talked a lot about these different ideas for how to uh, change the way that the federal government recruits new employees. One of those you mentioned was skills-based hiring, been around as a goal, not just for the Biden administration, but 
before that as well. So I'm curious if based on the efforts that OPM has made so far in terms of like issuing guidance on skills-based hiring, have you seen agencies taking more advantage of that? Have you seen any progress? Yes, this is um, a policy that's really important to um, this administration. And you've seen lots of states take action in this area. In fact, in, in some ways, Drew, it's hard to see this through all of the different noise around the topic, but the federal government's been a, a little bit ahead of some of the other places in this. There's actually a law that uh, prohibits positive educational requirements unless you know you go through like this practice of really like validating why you need that specific educational requirement. So an example is like revenue agents at the IRS, they have accounting specific requirements and the IRS has done all the legwork to show that they need those for that those particular jobs. Um, but generally speaking, like you can't require specific types of degrees um, for federal jobs. Um, and so, you know, that's what we've done is like enforce that. Now, the thing that happens though, Drew, is um, those, uh, the, even though you can't require degrees, they, they can be used as part of the HR process as sort of a proxy for skills. And the reason that agencies do that is historically, they may not have had the best assessment tools to evaluate whether people really have the skills needed for the job. So in the absence of those quality assessments, they've leveraged proxies for skills like degrees or like occupational questionnaires where people go in and rate themselves on various competencies. We've made major progress in this area and developing new skills-based assessments, um, both at OPM through our USA Hire um, uh, uh, pool of assessments that are available to agencies and also agencies have done work on their own occupational specific assessments. So that's allowed for more uh, evolution towards skills-based hiring and rooting out those um, proxies for skills in favor of really assessing skills. Um, there's, um, and we've issued a lot of guidance on this and been working, you know, with agencies from the beginning of the administration uh, on that. Um, there's another component to it that we're also tackling, which is the qualification requirements. So a lot of qualification requirements for federal jobs talk about having uh, a year of experience at the previous lower grade level. So if you're applying for a GS-13, for example, you've got to demonstrate that your experience has been the equivalent of the experience that a GS-12 person might have. And translating that into non-federal service can be difficult. And so we're taking a look at those qualification standards and seeing if we can, instead of relying on sort of, again, the proxy of, well, you did this at the GS-12 level, you know, what are the skills that are demonstrated by a GS-12 employee and then changing the qualification standard to match those skills so that somebody who hasn't been a GS-12 employee but has the skills that that person has can qualify for that GS-13 job. So we're gonna be digging in and, and that's begun in 2023. And we're gonna be digging in further on that in 24 to keep moving that skills-based hiring initiative forward. Rob Shriver, Deputy Director of the Office of Personnel Management, speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Check out Drew's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. 
Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Comstetter, Chief People Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect, so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences and that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking, that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and in the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. 
So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies, and we really need to again unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources. Is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So, for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first-time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply. That's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it, and building modules or, or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their in their roles. Excellent new thinking.、Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time? When, as a leader, that you've made a mistake, and what is that? And、um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so、uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration, and I was a supervisor, and I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years, and I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing、uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency. And I think there are about twenty people in the room, and I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions, and that leader then said, "Okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion, and then everybody gets to vote," which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, "Go ahead, and I want to hear from you." And I realized, in hindsight. I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted. That she let all these people. Have opinions when they didn't know. In my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so,、um, in reflection on that, I realize. And now, as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake. That it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so. That was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to 
very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting, getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, Mm -hmm. people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title chief people officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how how are things going, Um, because we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because 
first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married, for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, and I've had a great career in public service. So, I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank uh, you. Having known you now for seven or eight years yeah. um, and worked alongside you, uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues, it's... Uh, It's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.